Okay, it's day 14. Uh, we've just finished watching the Senegal-Colombia game. Uh, we didn't get a chance to watch the Japan-Poland game, although it doesn't really sound like it made too much of a difference. Uh, Poland won that 1-0, but for Japan, they're through anyway. Uh, and it's our first uh, World Cup progression decided based on the disciplinary rule. Um, and I believe Japan had two fewer yellow cards than Senegal did. Um, Senegal, of course, lost their game to Colombia as well. A Yuri Mina goal in the second half. Um, for the Senegal-Colombia game, it was interesting, wasn't it? Uh, one, wasn't it? Because in the first half, I think we all would have agreed that Senegal looked the better team. They didn't create enough chances, and crucially, they didn't take any in the first half. And of course, it was going to be obvious that Colombia were going to come out in the second half, determined to get a result. Um, you know, potentially that's the point where there's only 45 minutes of World Cup football left, and without wanting to Sing a cliche, anything can happen. <laughs> yeah? Uh, are you pleased or displeased, Alex? Do you think that result went the way it should have? Is it fair? I think it's really harsh on Senegal to have gone out in this fashion, uh, you know, because they accrued two yellow cards more. But at the same time, the draw against Japan, you know, they led that game twice, they should have killed that off. They were absolutely the dominant side for the first half of this game, at least, before Colombia came back into it to a degree, although it still took a set-piece goal, and I don't think Ndai was really massively challenged in the Senegal goal otherwise, no. so they're going to view this as, as a missed opportunity, I think. Could you categorise these two, their two uh, last games, though, as both situations in which when Senegal were ahead, so they were never ahead in the Colombia game, but on... Uh, as the group was shaping up on points, they would have progressed if it had stayed as a draw. Um, is it fair to say that when they were ahead, they didn't do enough to stay that way, and maybe they sat off too much, and they, you know, they 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 didn't finish the game off against Japan, as as you just said, and they they didn't, you know, manage to get a goal against Colombia here. Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think that they they sat off too much. I think the issue was um, that that they. In the games where they used uh, a striker like Mama Biram Diouf ahead, he's very much what in Football Manager you call a defensive forward. He's there to press, run the channels, provide an outlet and draw defenders away from space in order to allow the other attacking players somewhere to move into, mm. particularly uh, Sadio Mane, uh, Ismail Azar um, and Niang. So they... They didn't have a kind of clinical striker up front. Mane was often having to get forwards. It, this is the first game where Mane started up front rather than the left midfield slot, which I think slightly weakened Senegal's pressing and defensive system. Mm. Um, maybe made sense uh, in terms of trying to have a bit more creativity, expecting Niang to, to present an issue in terms of particularly aerial threat along with Zaha. They're both tall players as well. So um, I, I think they were they were actually trying to go on the front foot even more in this game um, mm. with their, their selections. But they've just missed that clinical edge in front of goal. They've, they've created a lot of opportunities. Um, Aspina had to make a couple of decent saves. It, it's more that there's just been something missing in terms of, I, I think, I think Senegal maybe sacrificed a little bit of their attacking capability 
to have such a strong, good defensive system. Uh, and that meant there wasn't necessarily the room for, for that kind of poacher-type striker who doesn't partake so much in a defensive system but mm. is able to to kind of spring a, an offside trap and, and try and get him behind. Is there an argument to say that teams from other groups will be looking on at the, the results here and will be slightly happier with the outcome? Because Senegal certainly are a team who make it hard for the opposition. Um, with Colombia, for example, we've had probably, it's fair to say, one less game time to analyse them because of the red card in, in their first game. And again, it was difficult to judge them against Poland because po- Poland was so bad in their second game. Um, but they, ha- they haven't looked excellent, have they? And I, I, I think it might be an unusual outcome on the basis that across the three games, Senegal have looked at times stronger than every other team in that group, but somehow didn't manage to get through. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Colombia are harder to judge, partly, I think, on the basis of this, uh, the, the red card that you alluded to in the first game. And Rodriguez uh, went off with an injury in this that's, game as that's well. That's the other point, is, is so much of what they do is dependent on particularly Rodriguez, but also on Quintero, and those two linking up together and interchanging, drifting into space, creating opportunities for Falcao, for Quadrado running inside. Mm. With one of those missing, it robs Colombia of so much of their creativity because their their midfield pivot is not about creativity. It's about winning the ball and sort of flat, quick passes to get it forwards. Mm. Um, I think... Arias and Mejica have done quite well from fullback, um, supplying width there. Davidson Sanchez, he's a central defender who has all of the requisite abilities to be, to be arguably, you know, one of the world's top central defenders. But he also, a little, I think, occasionally looks a little rash. Um, somebody made a really good point on Twitter the other day about how it shows having a guiding presence like Alderweireld next to him when he's playing for Spurs makes such a difference. Mm. A, a cooler, calmer head, more experienced to kind of tell him when to push and when not. And with Yerry Mina alongside him, mm. uh, Mina, again... Today's goal scorer. Today's goal scorer, a second goal for him from a set piece. He's a very capable defender, but he's a reserve at Barcelona. He barely gets any game time. Mm. So there, there is a weakness through the centre there, I think. Um, which is masked by their athleticism and their recovery abilities, yeah. but at the same time is is there to be exploited. Senegal are a side who, on the break, can always do damage, um, and they're for me they're the strongest defensive team in this uh, group, followed probably by Japan. Mm. So I think, yeah, in in terms of the teams that are looking forwards to who they would have to play from this group, I think there'll be a degree of relief that Senegal haven't progressed. Mm. Well, as we as we mentioned, Senegal uh, didn't manage to progress beyond uh, Japan because they had two more yellow cards. Philippe, let me ask you this. Right, Firstly, what do you think of that rule? Because I believe it's the first time we've seen this in a World Cup. Um, and secondly, uh, there were some suggestions, there was a sort of throwaway suggestion from Danny Murphy during the game that... He, he didn't so much like it. What about something like shots on target, which maybe, you know, penalises teams who are slightly more defensive? What do you think of the disciplinary rule? Um, and have you got any suggestions for how they could change it? And then, well, this is it. Probably not, really. But it, yeah. is, it is extremely unfair. 
but it has taken something quite unprecedented to actually get her in the first place. Yeah. So it's because um, I mean, in a way you could argue that it penalises a certain type of play what, as well. What we'd love is a playoff between the two teams, but obviously trying to organise that would be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, but it's yeah. um, I, I agree. You mean that the shots on target could be seen as equally unfair. So yeah. um, as 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 disappointed as I am to see Senegal go out particularly in that fashion, I genuinely can't really see you have a way of, of doing it. No. Um, okay. Well, uh, we can come back and chat later uh, about the, the the ties when we know the result of the England-Belgium game. Uh, let's go now to the predictions that we made last night. I think one of the games is ruled out, and Philippe, I believe you got the point for the other? Yes. Um, so, for Japan-Poland... None of us went for a Poland win. No, okay. Um, so nil. You went for a draw. I went for two. No, Alex went for two one. Um, Joe, you went for two one Senegal. Adam mm-hmm. went for three one. I went for two nil. Oh, Colombia. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that's it's closest to you then, doesn't it? Yeah. So that you're pulling away at the front now, aren't you? I'm I'm in front by one. Yeah. It's. I think you're in front by two now. Oh well, maybe. Because I thought last night it finished 4-3-2. Yeah, four, I am, yeah. Four, so three, I'm, two. I'm on five, you're on three. Fighting. And now it's a 5-3-2. Yeah. That's a legitimate football formation, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Uh, okay, and uh, we mentioned England there. The news is there'll be an awful lot of changes, eight or so, uh, self seven maybe. Um, Belgium, the same. I think there's going to be lots of changes. So with some hesitation, uh, let's do some predictions for the games later. Tunisia-Panama, let's start with, because it's um, yeah. completely meaningless. Uh, but I'm gonna. I would like to back Panama in that okay. game, and I'm gonna back them to win six nil. Because I like Panama, and I'm glad they. I, the thing sure. is, as a, as a sweet moment of of the World Cup so far, uh, the delight on the Panama fans' faces when they scored that goal after being six nil down against England just makes me want them to score six more. Yeah. So six nil. Um, and would you like to have a have a I, guess at that game, Phil? Yeah. I'll go for 1-0 Tunisia. 1-0 Tunisia, yeah. OK. It's conservative, Alex. 3 all. 3 all. Oh, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I do hope so, because what, what's to lose? Um, I mean, I'm bottom on two points, I'm throwing caution to the wind. Yeah. Why not? I don't Why not? care. It's working for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, OK, uh, the big one now, England-Belgium. Philippe, what are you going to go for? It's a, t- it's a tough one to predict, because we don't know precisely how the team's going to line up. Mm. Um and I have a sneaking suspicion that Roberto Martinez wants to finish second because he's a loser. <laughs> I'm becoming very partisan now. But yeah. uh, after you, Phil. I'm going to go for 2-2. Two, 2-2? Two. Two, two? Yeah. That's a safe bet. And that, uh, presuming the yellow card situation stayed the same, I think that would mean England will go through first. Uh, yeah, but unless something very drastic happens in this game. Yeah, um, okay. Okay. Barring a red or like a few yellows yeah. for, for England, then yeah. How does the red card work? Does that count as. Uh, I'm going to, without any qualification, say it counts as double. <laughs> or maybe it means if you have a red card, yeah. immediately you have a worse disciplinary record. Maybe, yeah. maybe it becomes red v red rather than yellow v yellow. Maybe. We don't know, so I there's no point speculating. It, it probably makes a difference as well if it's two yellows or a straight red. It probably does. But yeah. I don't know. Uh, what are you going for, Alex? Um, I'm going to go for a 3-2 England. 3-2 England. That's so exciting, isn't it? What I should tactically now, what I should be doing is going for a Belgian win. You should. You can't bring yourself to but it, I can't bring myself to do it. No, because you know what I'm going home. for? You're going to go 6-1 England. 4-1. Four, 4-1. One. Four, one. Four, and, it, and it hurts me to say 1. To England. To England, yeah. yeah. God. I'd rather say 4-0. Okay. 
You might as well. I might, you know <laughs> what? I might as well. I might as well. Four, no, four, we'll stick with four, four okay. one. That's the safe bet. Okay. Well, in that case, we'll come back a bit later after that after those games, um, and we'll chat in depth about Panama, Tunisia, and we might touch on the England Belgium game as well. Uh, but we, by then, we'll know how uh, the knockout rounds are going to phase out, and that's going to be quite exciting. But maybe we can have a quick five minutes uh, looking at all the games uh, as well, and we can talk about which ones we're most excited about, and uh, which ones might be a bit boring. Uruguay, Portugal, Uruguay, Portugal. Possibly boring. But, you know, you'll argue the case later, Phil. Uh, okay, back in a bit. It's coming home? Yeah? That's your intro. <laughs> That's my intro, yeah. I couldn't think of what else to say. Uh, it is coming home. But it's coming home via a different route than I would like it to. It's coming home... Uh, it's held up in traffic. It's held up against uh, Colombia, Sweden slash Switzerland, plus who- whoever else wants to... Get in the way of the English. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, it's, it's it was an interesting game, despite being very boring. Uh, possibly, this, we suggested the second most boring of the tournament, but then Alex rightly reminded me that we didn't actually watch the Panama-Tunisia game at all, although there were more goals in that, so there's a shout to say that, that possibly was more interesting. But there, there were interesting things to take from it, um, I'm going to start with Belgium, I think. We can come on to England in a little bit, because there's slightly less uh, to chat about with England. But with Belgium, they did something very interesting. And I think, uh, as an observer of the game, Roberto Martinez perhaps got a little bit more out of that in terms of information going forwards than Gareth Southgate did, um, particularly with regards to Maran Fellaini. Um, and your suggestion, Alex, was that uh, as we worked out where Fellaini was actually playing, and contrary to what... Uh, ITV sort of showed in their fixture thing at the beginning, or their, their lineup thing at the beginning. We think Fellaini was actually playing sort of, uh, sort of in the wide left role, but basically not really playing on the left. Yeah, like and, like an old inside left. Yeah, like a, a, a sort of as a supporting striker. And we've seen him do that for Man United before. We've made a video about this actually. Um, when he plays for in, for Manchester United in that role, they tend to sort of uh, play long crossfield balls from the right back area up to Fellaini in the in the top left and try and knock it down and you know create problems that way basically going straight over the top of the opposition midfield this is sort of what belgium did at times not solely that we should say but the reason i say i think roberto martinez might have got more out of it is because it looked like not only was he resting players and playing uh, a second string side he was also playing a plan b side and it looked like uh, this was something that Belgium might resort to in tougher games, uh, a second option. Yes, uh, Fellaini's been that for a while. And, and we had a conversation during the match about how this idea of Fellaini as a kind of box-to-box midfielder or something is is just not really what mm. he does. No. Uh, he He can play deeper and he has played in a double pivot for Man United this season on occasion. Mm, but always um, pushing up, and tend to, tends to be when we're chasing the game, so it's not really, the settled formation isn't really how the side are playing, is it? No, and, and I think I think he's kind of, he's quite an anomaly in terms of how one ordinarily reads um, the kind of number 10-ish role, mm. because that is where he plays. He's playing in the space between your standard midfield line and your standard forward line. Mm. He is disrupting markers, winning aerial balls, um, layoffs for uh, midfielders attacking that or flicking it forwards mm-hmm. onto uh, strikers. 
And I think you're right in the sense that in terms of um, in terms of a plan B, this is probably what Belgium says. It's quite interesting to note, if we kind of leap forward ever so slightly to England, that England don't appear to have a plan B. And there was a, a, a quick exchange I saw on Twitter between Nathan McVitie and Sam Tai, where McVitie was saying, you know, it's it's ridiculous that more of a, a, a change to the the system hasn't been made to accommodate Vardy. Mm. Sam Tai was saying, well, you don't you don't change the system for Vardy. You don't change the system for anyone. And, and England seem to have different players that can do different things. Yeah. But the overall system stays the same. Because of their attacking players, Vardy is the Fellaini. Vardy is England's Fellaini in a slightly different way. In a, in very, a, in a very different it, way. Well, in a very but, different way stylistically, but, 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 but in a sense that he offers something He different. offers something that, that the rest of them don't. He offers that uh, serious pace off the shoulder, running in behind. Um, but in a team that are playing possession-based football, hoping to uh, move the ball up incrementally and be on the front foot, he's not really your starter, is he? No, uh, he's not. And and uh, and that's, that's not just because I don't think he's as good a striker as Harry Kane, because mm. he's not. And also, we should point out that in this game, he linked up very well with Rashford at times. He's not He's not a one-trick pony, but for no, sure no, he, he actually he, had quite he, a good game. Yeah, he played well. Um, I think there were a couple of England players that, that did do well. Mm. Um, Loftus-Cheek and Delph um, foremost among them. But yeah, Vardy didn't, didn't play badly at all. But I think the point there is that to to have that Fellaini plan for Belgium necessitates a change of approach. Mm. Uh, it's a lot more direct, it's a lot more aerial, and that makes sense when you've got someone like Fellaini. England don't feel that they want to adjust their approach, that the style of football that they sought to play was by and large the same. Glenn Hoddle was complaining that Rashford and Vardy weren't running wide into the channels too much. That's because actually in England's standard game system, that's the role of the attacking, more attacking-minded midfielders. Or certainly if Jesse Lingard comes inside, then maybe one of the attackers runs wide. Maybe one of them does. Um, but but that's, that's not something... They're not looking to be the first point of contact with the ball in those wide spaces. No. Um, so it makes sense that they were sort of trying to do the same thing with different players. Um, keeping a, a, a system that was consistent and from that perspective, I think what Southgate did with, with resting people and giving game time to other people kind of makes sense because he's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, right, you know. But at the same time, as I said before the game yesterday, whenever it was, I, I personally wouldn't have made so many changes mm. um, because there wasn't an enormous amount to separate those sides. I mean, a great goal from Yanazai. Um, it was a good goal, we should say that. It was yeah, a great we should. goal. Um, poor finishing from Rashford twice. Mm. Um, but that, that game could easily have had uh, a, a different complexion. And I think if England had started two or three more of their regular first teamers, mm. then they probably would have won that game. So do we think then do we think then that England's England's setup is personnel reliant? No, I just think that England's First choice personnel are more used to. Uh, they're all used to playing that style. The first choice are the first choice because they're the best at doing that. Mm-hmm. And say the dynamism of Walker, 
um, the delivery of Trippier, the movement of Lingard. The vision of Jordan Henderson. The vision of Jordan and Henderson. And that's what I was going to ask you next. Do you think that this England team missed Jordan Henderson? Because sometimes when the opposition is stifling play or when there's a lack of creativity, we've seen in the games against Panama and Tunisia that the un- unsung, uh, unsung, can't say that word properly, unsung Jordan Henderson uh, was the one to make things happen. Eric Dyer did uh, make a couple of great long-range passes, but he he had more defensive work to do in this game as well, didn't he? He had more defensive work to do, and he is a more defensively-minded player. I think I think where England failed to do as well was that slow progression up the pitch, mm-hmm. and that's because uh, Cahill and Jones are not nearly as good at that as Maguire and Walker. Yeah. Um, so England were playing a lot deeper, a lot more conservatively. They weren't looking to progress the ball using the centre-backs. What that did was it meant that England were less able to have that movement generated between the lines from the midfield. Mm. That meant that everything was kind of on the back foot. There weren't people... That, while Delft, Delft and Loftus-Cheek were showing for it, there was too much of a space for them to try and find it. It was too easy for Belgium to close that down. The Mm. passing options were a lot clearer to Belgium in terms of how they then pressed that. So uh, it was was disjointed in terms of that gap, and that's ultimately what stopped England from building up the way they like to. Trent Alexander-Arnold made his uh, tournament debut. I think it's only his second cap. Actually, it definitely is, because they said that six times, didn't they? And they mentioned the long list of other players who's... uh, second caps were in a tournament, how good they are, and therefore he must also be good. Uh, but he is good. He was good. Uh, and what I want to ask you is, particularly in the first half, he saw an awful lot of the ball, and a lot of the play went through him. Uh, Trippier has arguably been one of England's better players in the first two games. Is this an indication that a lot of England's attacking play comes down the right? In terms of a sort of cart and horses, like actually Trippier and Trent Alexander-Arnold aren't as good, but they appear to be because England have that focus. Not quite that, but that is a fair estimation of what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think... I'm not saying they're not, not as good as they look, I'm just saying that okay. because of how, how much of the ball they've yes. had, is, uh, that, is that by design, or is that because they're both good players look, showing for it and willing to attack? I think it's probably a bit of both. I think I think any any sensible manager looks at the players they have at their disposal and tweaks things on that basis. And there's no doubt that whether it's Trippier or Alexander-Arnold, that provides a, a more consistent and more dynamic attacking threat than, well, more dynamic than Ashley Young, more consistent than Danny Rose. Mm. So it makes sense to focus the play down that side. I think when you add Loftus-Cheek into that right-hand side of things as well, um, his ability to hold the ball up, win fouls, mm. carry the ball, uh, I mean, he's really grown into this tournament. You read so an interesting far. stat during the game as well, didn't you, about the Premier League season? Yeah, um, him and Wilfred Zaha were the two most fouled players per game in the Premier League. Because mm. Hoddle made a throwaway comment about how many fouls he was winning, which he was in that game, and I thought that would be interesting to see if that's something that, that has happened consistently over the season, because I wasn't really aware of it, but it did. The Palace elite drawing the fouls. Yeah. Mm. Well, he. I mean, I think he was really, really good in this game. I think, uh, as I say, I think Delft played very well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think Alexander-Arnold did. I think Stones looked pretty composed. For Belgium, Dembele played well? Dembele played well, and he does give uh, that dynamism 
um, from midfield, the ability to, to carry the ball out of tight spaces forwards, which mm. uh, I think sometimes Belgium can lack a little bit because mm-hmm. De Bruyne is looking to maybe sit off, play the pass and then move into space without the ball at feet. Mm. So Dembele gives them something different there. Uh, certainly more dynamic than Wetzel. Um, I think uh, Thorgan Hazard did okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Boyata actually had a surprisingly good game at, at centre-back. Okay. I, mean, I know he's been starting anyway, but mm. he was very tidy with his passing. Well, let's have a look forward now to the round of 16 games. Uh, we have the list of eight here with us. Uh, it's quite exciting. I mean, specifically regarding uh, the England-Belgium game, of course now England are going to play Colombia on Tuesday night. Uh, Belgium go on to play Japan on Monday night. Um, and neither, you know, there was a lot of talk before the game and during the game about, oh, does it do, does either team want to win or which route is better to take? Arguably, they're both tricky. I mean, Colombia are a very good team, so that's not an easy round of 16 game to play. Uh, Japan, you would argue, might be the easier opposition, but then moving forward into the quarterfinals, you're more likely to face a team like Brazil or maybe Mexico, and that isn't, you know, again, it's not a prospect that everyone wants to come up against. So neither route is particularly easy. I think both teams will be happy with the opposition that they've drawn in the round of 16, though, and I think you, we could make an argument to say they're both winnable games. Let's start at the beginning, though, um, because the first game, Saturday at 3 o'clock, it's a real corker. Phil, I'm going to come and ask you about it, uh, because you'll be uh, following and supporting France. Yes. We had a brief chat about this during <laughs> the England game, when there wasn't that much going on on the screen, <laughs> um, and you made the point that uh, Argentina are not the, necessarily the best team to come up against at this stage, no. because they've not been playing that well. Yeah, exactly. Um, if anything, just because it will be just a, a real whimper to go out on a, against a, a, a sort of disorganised mess that, as we said, is seemingly now managed by Lionel Messi. Yeah. Um, so it just be a bit... I mean, at the same time, there's two ways that this can go. Like, France could finally grow into their skin a little bit more, um, be that French squad and, and really blow Argentina away, in which case, brilliant, and mm. then there could be a decent tournament after that. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, you know, it'll be just another disappointing for France, but I think there is a nucleus for a very good French squad going forward, again, cruising without their chance manager. Mm. And I think if I'm right, the winner of that game will play Uruguay or Portugal in yeah, the quarterfinals. That is, a, that is a really tough route, isn't it? Um, and that quite puts it into perspective when you look at the <laughs> last stages with the England route, as we just discussed. Well, and this would also be why, obviously, but what, I'd want to be seeing France beat Argentina, but also to be beating Argentina in a certain way yeah. with, a, with a certain amount of conviction because I think the moment that say France had another quite boring or rubbish performance like, they have, like they've only really done so far in this tournament and come up against Portugal or Uruguay I can only really see that going one way okay Okay. Um, well Uruguay-Portugal is the other uh, game on Saturday the Saturday evening game Alex uh, we've talked about that a little bit before it's a, it's a very tough one to call <coughs> isn't it? it's, it's two teams who have Fairly similar playing styles. Both teams have outstanding star strikers. Uh, both teams are very well organised and drilled defensively. What What do you think the likely outcome of that is? It's very, very difficult. Um, Uruguay seem to have grown into this tournament a bit. They were comfortably on top uh, in their opening couple of group games without really convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then blew away 
a good Russian side, albeit once they'd had a man sent off. Um, I think they've moved Kakeras over to the right-hand side, brought Laxal onto the left. That gives them a bit more going forwards, and Kakeras is playing on his natural side. Mm-hmm. Um, Torreira looked very smart against Russia, which you'd expect because he's a very good player. So I think I think it would not surprise me if Uruguay won this, mm. but you also can never write off a Cristiano Ronaldo-led Portugal. Mm. So and I've got them as one of my two to win. Like I'm I'm really gonna sit on the fence on that one. Okay. I I I, I think if I have to nudge it, I'd probably nudge it. Very fractionally to Uruguay. Okay, that's really close. Yeah, well, we'll come. We can do some predictions actually uh, Saturday. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, we should probably predict for those two games now because we're not here tomorrow. There's no podcast tomorrow, so the next time you hear from us, it will be after those two games have taken France, place. Uh, yeah. Oh, it'll be. Oh, sorry, yeah, that's right. It'll be after France Argentina. Uh, before we do that, we should toss up the points for the last two games as well. Uh, well, in that case, let's uh, let's chat about Colombia, England, um, and then we'll come back and do our predictions and tot up for the rest of the day. Um, England, Colombia, it's a winnable game, Alex, but it's a tough one. I don't know, I've got nothing else to say. Well, James Rodriguez was in yeah, here today. That's... Don't know whether he's going to start. He walked off the pitch, though, didn't he? Didn't look like that much, but you never know with those sorts of ones. You don't, and it's, it's a funny one, because you don't know how comfortable Colombia felt in that result you know as a was it a withdrawal to protect him because they they felt yeah we'll be all right or um Hammers is the guy that makes everything tick so there's absolutely no doubt that there'll be huge relief if he isn't fit to start or even if he's playing at sort of 50% capacity they'll have to watch Cantero they'll have to watch Cuadrado but I do feel that Colombia have stuttered a bit. Like like we said, you know, they 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 went a man down against Japan, and so it was difficult to infer much from that. Mm-hmm. I, they were absolutely under the cosh for the first half against Senegal, um, and I think you know England do have sufficient pace out wide to stretch them. Um, that centre half pairing of of Davidson and Mina, I think they do look like they have mistakes in them. I, I know this is all kind of quite reductive, but not very tactical. Mm. Um, England are going to overmatch them personnel wise in a number of areas of okay. the pitch, yeah. and it will be interesting to see whether if Hammers doesn't start how they'll line up, yeah. whether they'll go for more of a 4-4-1-1 uh, with Quintero playing off Falcao and try and have a bit more solidity by stringing four across the midfield. But mm. I think England will overman in central midfield. They'll be able to to get overlaps and overloads out wide as well with the wing-backs that they have against uh, the Colombian ones. So it's a difficult game, mm. Um but it's certainly winnable. Okay. Well, Jose Peckerman, uh, Colombia manager, um, he said he's extremely concerned about the Hamas Rodriguez injury. I'm reading this from the uh, Daily Mirror website. Also, what's slightly strange is that no one seems to know what the injury actually is. Uh, he walked straight down the tunnel when he came off the game. Uh, Peckerman was asked in a press conference afterwards whether it was a return uh, of uh, a calf injury 
that uh, Rodriguez had had during the season, but he said he didn't have that information and that he couldn't answer those questions right now. Um, but that's a slightly odd one, isn't it? Um, yeah. So perhaps he, perhaps he won't be playing. Perhaps he won't I mean, be playing. At the very least, if he does play, it would be a slightly softened version, yeah. I imagine. That's um, true. And we'll, sm- we'll smash them anyway, mate. We'll smash yeah. them. <laughs> Is that what you were about to say? Yeah, you were, weren't you? Yeah. About to say we're going to smash them. It, it may well be um, that uh, it's coming home. I think it's actually. coming home. Something's coming home. Could be. Yeah. This this was this was. Is it like... Daddy? Is Daddy coming home? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no, it's not. No, no. <laughs> I'm not gonna. No. Yeah, okay. okay. Sorry, I thought maybe it was Daddy, but I think it's football. Okay. We don't know yet. We'll find out, and uh, on Saturday we'll, we'll let you know whether it is Daddy or whether it's football that's coming home. Uh, Philippe, would you like to uh, tot up? Or oh, I'll tell you what, we'll do that afterwards. France Argentina is the early game on Saturday. Uh, let's make our <coughs> predictions for that. That's a real tough one, Alex. I'm going to start with you. I really want France to win. Sure. Um, As do I. As does Phil, I think. And generally speaking. When I've suggested that a team's going to win, you're going for Argentina, or explained how I think that will no. happen. You've thrown this. You've thrown this out of the it's out of the window. Gone wrong. So I'm going to go for a two-one Argentina. Goodness me! A solid statistician, a methodical man, just loses it within a week because uh, <laughs> things aren't going his way. He throws caution to the wind. No, like, I, I've always said I can explain how things happen. <laughs> Have you always and said what that? Should happen? Were you saying that as a child? But people are just not following my instructions. <laughs> mother, mother, <laughs> if you ran the household the way I suggested. Things would be well, working better. I think if you spoke to my parents, they'd probably... When is Papa home? Hmm? Well, we don't know if he's coming home. Anyway, Phil, yeah. you're next. Argentina-France. I know you're going to go with France. You have to. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I'm quite a superstitious man, so I would, I would kind of love to do what Alex has just done there, but I can't really run my right mind, can I? Okay, so no. I'm yeah, you do have to. Phil Classic, 2-0 France. It's a 2-0 France. I like it. Yeah. Listen, guys, one of the things I probably should have said before we made these predictions is that, of course, we're in the round of 16 now. So uh, a draw means something say, slightly different. Yeah. Now, you guys seem to have answered that the result is going to be uh, found within 90 minutes. Mm. I think it's going to be a draw. So what, what do we do? I think well, I, you, can, you, you, have to, you can say penalties. I have a, yeah. So you don't have to predict who's going to win on penalties. If you say penalties, I think that's enough Ooh, to get it there. Well, I don't know. I think... I think... I have a proposition, uh-huh. which is to raise the game for the last, for the last 16 onwards. If you, it's a bit of a gamble. Yeah. If you say a draw, like, say you do in a, in a second. Yeah. Um, and it is a draw, that's one point. And then if you manage to um, predict who wins the penalty shootout, that's an extra point. I, I so would say gambling um, for two extra points. The, pro- the problem with that, though, is that that would mean that tactically it would make sense to say draw every game. Because lots of games might end up going to extra time. Not if it's a draw, though. Hmm? Not if it's a win, then you've lost. Well, the no, not if it's a win. But if you were to say draw, mm. and it ends up being a draw, not only do you get a point for that, but then you also might get an additional point. It would make sense to go for draw every time. Yes. Okay. So I don't think I know what you're saying. This is why I think you 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 either say when you now for instead of draw, you either have to say extra time. Yeah. And you have to pick a winner. Oh, that doesn't... No, that doesn't really work. Okay, you, you either say... God, this is terrible podcasting. You either say penalties, which yeah. is the new draw, or your winners can happen in extra time. So if Argentina win 2-1, but it happens in the 120th minute, you still win. Yeah, I think, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, that's, that's the fairest yeah. way. Yeah. Okay, so what I'm going to say is penalties. 
Okay. And that's my draw. And I don't have to decide which team wins. I just have to. I, I'm predicting it will get to. I'm predicting it will get to penalties. Okay. All right. That's nice, Good isn't times. it? Okay. And we'll all. Someone will get a point from that because we've all gone different ways there. Yeah. Yeah. Unless the game doesn't happen, <laughs> in which case uh, none of us will get a point. I'm not gonna let you go past this because I did. Oh, of course. Sorry. Did, um, Let's tot up the results of today. So um, the, uh, Tunisia Panama, you Tunisia, said Panama, two I one. For, I went for one nil. You went for one nil. What did so everyone Tunisia. else go for that? Joe, you went for six nil for Panama. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. That's right. Um, Alex you went for Alex went for three also. I, I think, think Phil can have that point. Yeah. So, um, Belgium won one nil. What what did we predict there? Did we all go for England? Uh, I went for two all draw. Um, and Alex, Alex went tonight. for three two yeah. England, and you went. So no one's one. getting that point. So it's a, a two nil win of so the day. So Phil, have you won three points of the four today? Two. You've won two. Who won the other one? The other one was Colombia Senegal. And no one won that. No one won I that. Did. So who won? Who? What was the other one that no one won? That would have been Japan versus Poland. Okay, and that's because oh, Poland, that's right, won. Poland yeah. won. No one yeah. saw that. No yeah. one saw that. So Phil's won two points. The other two, no one's won. Alex and I having dry days. Phil <laughs> winning the day for a second day running. What does that leave uh, first us? First day running, in fact. Third day running. Yeah. Uh, so at least uh, I'm on six. Yeah. Uh, you're on three. And Alex is on two. <laughs> Alex, you're being bested 300% by Philippe Fenner. Being beaten by an illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to know on. what you're talking about. <laughs> wow. If I managed these teams... The same thing would happen. Yeah, probably. I think... I think... I, I, mm, yeah. I think it's the case you. that, you're, that you're looking very closely at them, whereas I'm kind of going with gut instinct. Mm. Yeah. I think that's probably the... Yeah. I'm going with testicular instinct. <laughs> And sometimes that comes up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So what we're saying here is gut beats balls beats brains. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a very English way of looking at stuff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, guts, balls, and brains. Yeah, in that order. Yeah, yeah. It's coming home. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, put an end to that. Oh, look, look. It's Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV. He's on. He's on ITV. Have you seen how bonkers this is? Turns out my friend knows his brother. <laughs> yeah. Great. Uh, right. Anyway, I know. Isn't it great? Well, back on Saturday. See you later.